Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast about analog games, video games, and everything in between. This is Mark Uesa. And I'm Daniel Winter. Hello, Daniel. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. I'm nursing a bit of a ongoing cough that has delayed the, the, this recording a little bit, but uh, feeling better now. Looking forward to talking about some games. Fantastic. I'm always happy to talk about games. I just wrapped up my neighbor's D&D game, so I got the fresh excitement going for me. So here we go. Excellent. We'll be talking about our featured game of this episode. Uh, but first, we'll be talking about what we've been playing and some news. But Mark, t- tell me, what's the name of that featured game we're looking at? The game we're talking about today is called Isle of Cats. I, I know you love cats, but what's the game, Mark? <laughs> it's called Isle of Cats. <laughs> but I'm sh- uh, <laughs> only because it's a pun that I completely missed for months of playing this game, and it's not too you say it out loud that uh, it's, it's all too obvious. <laughs> you can interpret it either way. I think that's fine. Well, more, more on that later anyway. So uh, what's news to you? I don't have a lot of news, but there's some Kickstarters that are wrapping up and starting off. So I'm going to talk about one that ends actually pretty, pretty soon. So hopefully people will catch this in time. There's a Kickstarter for an RPG called Wilder Feast, which mm, I actually yeah. thought you might be interested in. I do like feasts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's essentially like a monster hunter. It's kind of like a cartoony, kind of cutesy looking monster hunter, like the video game. Like I think you're all hunting beasts, like mythical beasts. But the I think the purpose of it is that you're going to take it home to your camp and you're going to cook interesting cuisines with the with the monsters that you bring home, and that in turn is going to buff you up, and, and then you go out again and fight and some more monsters so yeah i'm i'm really curious how they're gonna to toe that line i mean the cooking was absolutely a an element of monster hunter obviously uh but yeah how, how they a bit such a big focus on buffs and I, I i am assuming it would be or certain benefits that the food is giving you to make it like i don't know how that they're going to instill flavor as it were into each meal uh to make you want to to choose one over another i'm quite curious how they're going to implement that and also how they're going to toe the line with justifying killing these creatures like they all look like cute happy creatures why are we killing them um so i'm curious about the the tone it's going to strike there but I'm, i'm definitely very interested yeah, it's the same struggle that actual games like Monster Hunter, the entire series has. Even the newer games that we like, even ones we've covered, like Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, have considerable cooking mechanisms in it. So maybe it doesn't all have to be monsters that you defeat. You know, maybe it's just like bones that you scavenge. Foraging. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I imagine it's going to be quite mechanical. Like there's probably going to be a recipe. It requires, you know, breast of a basilisk and this, you know, mushroom from the forest, three of these and two of those, and you put them together and you cook it, and then it gives you plus one to your agility. And Well, hopefully too much grinding like Monster Hunter at least. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think it'll probably fill that formula, but there's going to be, you know, character bonding in between things you just can't yeah. do in a video game yeah that was one of the other the, the more uh unique elements is that there were like sitting around the campfire and, and and character interactions uh each after each fight so that that sets itself apart i think from monster hunter and the art style looks quite cute. There's a free preview if you want to check that out once again the campaign is wrapping up on september 26th so check it out as soon as you can absolutely i'll be taking a close look at that 
Great. How about yourself? Do you have any news to bring to the table? Yeah, well, on a slightly more serious note, I was uh, curious to note that the SAG after strikes are now talking about rolling into video games. So, as as of recording, SAG after has been on, on on strike for writing for Hollywood productions for the past month or so, and now they're talking about including the video game studios, which is a separate contract, but is now that is now up for negotiation, and so I think. As of a couple of weeks, they, those contracts are up, and if they don't find a, a solution, that they're going to be on strike too. And uh, it does seem like Hollywood is certainly feeling the pinch right now. So I'm very curious how that rolls out. I was I was slightly amused, I will say, seeing uh, Fran Drescher talking about the, the 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 state of the the video game industry. But it, it seems like the the issues are largely also around AI, as it was with the, with the Hollywood negotiations. And that's something I've been quite interested in and how AI is being increasingly implemented in video games. Yeah, it well, makes a lot sure. of sense. Video games, even more than Hollywood, has been covering topics like AI very, very closely. I mean, if you just have to look at Fallout New Vegas with Mr. House, or you look <laughs> at uh, Portal, Portal 1 and 2, obviously, there's AI everywhere. We learn nothing. <laughs> exactly. A lot of these stories are about AI, right? And about them taking over. So it, you have to think twice, even if you're just a, a fan of this stuff about what AI could mean. I'm not a I'm not a never AI person. I'm I'm still you know considering trying to consider the merits and demerits of of it as a technology. I have the fantasy of just you know having an AI companion. You know, actually being able to run a tabletop role playing <laughs> game. Maybe not run it entirely as a GM, but you know, assisting. You know, helping come up with some some creations. Uh, a lot of it is the trend right now is a lot of like um, generative tables and course generative that's the g in chat gpt right so yeah that's generative is the theme of the moment that's the tricky thing like there's no ai refers to a lot of different types of technology none, none of which are actually an artificial intelligence i should say uh but i mean even things like procedural generation or predictive text like you'd have on your phone for text texting a friend like even though th- those are, are, are quite akin to some of this chat gbt but on a larger scale i know a lot of studios like ubisoft in particular is talking about utilizing ai on a much bigger scale for like barks like npc barks are just the sort of throwaway lines as you walk past an NPC, for example, and things that you wouldn't think a lot about, but do add a lot of flavor to to a game. But like, as you're not flooded with generic nonsense at the same time, like there there is a, there is a craft to to those lines, obviously, as 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 a, as a writer. Right. It would be really interesting if you played a game like Fallout, where you're walking in the middle of a town and there's all these NPCs that are standing in the same corner and they're they're saying their same one or two canned lines. What if they said something totally different every time you pass by them? Well, we've already got Radiant Quest, which is en- you know endless. I mean, I guess Radiant Quest is kind of itself. It's a, 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 a right. type of AI, and now and we're just Fallout rolling 4. that across. And, then, and that's 
in some to a large extent the least interesting part of those games i would say and now they want to roll that and expand it across every aspect of the game <laughs> yeah it hasn't been done well in my opinion the radiant quest you're referring to in games like fallout 4 that's like the least interesting part of that particular game i it's I infinite content mark them. infinite <laughs> All right it's it's the it's the st- stockholders dream right is a infinite product for finite input but as a player it's just not cutting the mustard just yet yeah a lot of of these discussions mistake quantity for quality but let's not get too into the weeds on that uh there'll be obviously more uh news possibly by the time you're hearing this right all right, I'm going to talk about another Kickstarter this time, but one that's upcoming. So if you're hearing this around September 12th, you can go check out this Kickstarter at that time. It's for the upcoming Jay Cormier's Design Your Destiny board game slash design teaching tool. I actually have to admit, I don't know all the details of it. I, what I'm hearing, I'm just catching from snippets here and there, obviously, because the campaign's not out. But I see some social media. Apparently, it's something like a children's story with board game mechanisms woven in. And and then you're supposed to fix the game in every scenario. And that's going to teach you more about the finer points of game design. Yeah. The, the impression I got is that this is like a, an interactive learn how to code sort of guide, but except for, for, for game design instead. Uh, obviously aimed at children. My daughters are probably a little young to appreciate this, so I, I, I haven't looked too closely at this one yet. But definitely uh, fascinated by the concept. Well, I know that Jay Cormier has chops. I think as his job for a time was uh, an instructor at Vancouver Film School in the game design program there, of obviously teaching analog game design. Uh, Jay Cormier also was the creator of the Fail Faster Kickstarter program, which was a tool that, that, that I definitely was eager to use, eager to back the fail faster journal. It's basically like a analog game designers helper. It'll give you, you know, ways to shake up your design and to focus your designs. So, you know, he's no stranger to teaching people how to design. I've attended some board game mashup events with him. So, uh, yeah, Jay Cormier uh, continues to impressed with his design and teaching talents absolutely yeah and he, his newest game harrow county is coming out very soon one of my friends just met him down at uh pax pax west and and, and played that we, i think we, we took, gave some of our impressions for that it's so looking forward to it coming out soon right so check out the kickstarter campaign for design your destiny starting september 12th excellent from the future of gaming what have we what have you been playing lately well, I can't say much other than that I did uh, sign up for that early access for Starfield. So I've been playing Starfield, Starfield, Starfield since September 1st, pretty much. Yes, yeah, so uh, you, you dragged me down with you. I, I also upgraded. <laughs> there you go. I thought I saw you in the early in the early period as well. I suspect we're going to be covering this very soon. But, you know, as we expected, there's lots of excitement about this game. There's lots of talk about it. There's some controversy about the reviews from some of the news outlets. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say that there's a lot to see. It's a big old Bethesda game. There's a lot to see. So I'm still excited to keep playing. Yeah, I, I will say my impressions, my, my initial impressions have been pretty low. That's even going in with low expectations. 
but if you've, you've seen anything about this game, it's that it gets good after 12 hours, apparently. Uh, I, I've not played for 12 hours yet, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll withhold any, any hard opinions on that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this game is out fully now. You can buy it or play it on Game Pass. Throw a coin in the bucket. Uh, so on, on Xbox and PC. That's right. So go check it out. I was pleased to see that it was on Xbox Game Cloud as well today. So I actually played it on the basement TV on, uh, on, while I was on the exercise bike for half an hour. That was a pleasant surprise. I got to do that there. <laughs> so that also means that I could play it on, um, Steam Deck as well. Cause I have the, uh, the cloud app on there. So looking All forward right. to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm lucky to have a, a relatively new PC that is running it pretty well. So that, that that's definitely not a complaint that I have, is that the game does look pretty good. Yeah, for sure. No complaints here. <laughs> All right, how about yourself? Uh, I have been playing a game called Stray. So this is that game where you're a cat, basically, as... as the, took the 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 internet and, and memes by storm a couple of years ago what well, it did come out as a playstation exclusive i think it was on pc but only just in the last month has hit xbox uh, my, my old uh, playstation wasn't quite up to to running it unfortunately so i i've been playing this mostly with my daughter and it is it's it's interesting so this is it's, it's not just you're not just a cat it's actually set in an, a a post-apocalyptic underground city where the humans have gone but been replaced by well su- survived by robots the robots didn't kill the humans but they, they they did survive beyond the humans and have sort of adopted human culture and so a lot of the game is is you, you walking amongst these robots and doing little quests for them and some sort of platforming a few chase sequences things like that and it does, the game does play pretty well it, it looks incredible a lot of lighting sort of neat very neon cyberpunk vibes cool music and everything it's not very cat-like i will say it's, it's interesting how like pretty early in the game you're given a little robot companion who sort of I don't know if I have a name like B and one or whatever, one of the, some code that all, they all blur together. <laughs> um, he sort of rides in a backpack on, on the cat. Cat doesn't have a name yet, but the, the robot sort of translates for you. Like so, so the robot is talking, your robot companion is talking to all the humanoid robots around the city and they, they're there telling you what to do and what they need and, and where to go. But like at no point, do you have the impression that the cat understands any of this? So really you're playing as the robot and the cat is just an avatar. It feel, all feels very pasted on that, that, that you are as a cat. Like there's some great animations. I was like, you can use it as a button. You can press to meow. That's pretty cute. You can find places to sleep and just curl up. And there's, and there's a few little animations, but nothing about it feels particularly, taken advantage of the fact that you're a cat really you, you are a robot who happens to be controlling a cat avatar so that's a little disappointing but the game is still fun uh outside of that <laughs> if you do like playing as a cat i should say I, I recently a couple of episodes ago mentioned big city little kitty or was it the other way around it was it was a demo in the the stream sorry steam next fest uh, that left a, a very good impression. That was a very much more cartoony game. The cat can sort of talk to some of the other animals around the city. 
but there was a, a huge number of animations and a lot of there's a lot of character and how the cat expresses itself in that game. I mean, like in p- playing with things around the neighborhood and the way it jumped, you had a lot more control about the way you move around. That, that was just a demo, but that left a, a strong impression. So if you want more cats in your game, I recommend checking that out. Nice. I guess you and I met at your place. I think we played the new game from Flatout called That's Fit right. to Print. You received the preview copy and uh, we played it together. It was pretty enjoyable, but I'll just leave it there. We we'll might talk about it more in the future. Probably played the bigger game right after that, which was, don't remind me, it was Hansa Teutonica. You got it. Excellent. (laughs) You said you had been wanting to play that for a while. I've been hustling you to to play this for some time. I I would like to cover it in more detail, but I I think you might still need a little more convincing. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll definitely play it again. That one is definitely a meaty euro. And then the last game we played was very short and sweet. It was called um, Shake That City or Shake The City. Yes, yeah. It's, kinda, it's it's like a very popular game on social media right now. It's got this little cube arranger device, which everyone seems to adore. It is very cool. It works well. Yeah, it's a, it's a system that, that as I said on, on the night, you could quite easily just throw some cubes in a bag and, and draw one out one at a time and very abstractly place them in a grid. But by automating that in this cute little shaker box it adds a lot of characters to the game <laughs> right it's it's half the experience is, is how i found it you're right you could have you could even have a square shaped card like code names or something has, like a randomizer. has yeah. the arrangement of, of tokens but we probably talked enough to play an entire game of shake that city <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's fun enough as a quick experience anything i did beyond that was ttrpg related i've been getting deep into tabletop role-playing games. I went to a store in Richmond, BC. I visited Imperial Hobbies, which is a bigger hobby store in the lower mainland area. They have a really decent selection of tabletop RPGs, among other things. They have lots of models. They have lots of board games. They have miniatures war games. They have comic books. But uh, I was looking for some RPG books, and I found two or three great uh, options that I was really interested in. I got a copy of The Strange, which is an RPG from Monty Cook Games. I got a companion book to The Strange, and I got this box of cipher cards which help you play the game. So I got an extravaganza of The Strange RPG material, and very, very excited to dig deeper into that. Just great, great fun just reading that material. Oh, this one you were telling me is is like sliders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to talk about the strange in depth, but <laughs> basically, like you're working for a kind of a shadowy governmental organization, like the FBI in this case, called the Estate. You know what it is? It's actually a lot like. Is it's a lot like Control? What's the organization oh, yeah, the called in Bureau. Control? The Bureau, exactly. And and then they they work out of this building called like the Oldest House or something like that. It's just super mysterious and there's parallel dimensions and I won't spoil it, but basically this game could be anything because yeah, there's like a lot, like it's covering a lot, a wide, a lot of a wide range of bases here. I can't, can't really get a read on what the theme is. <laughs> basically you're like Fox Mulder or Dana Scully, but you can transport into entirely different dimensions. And when you transport there, it isn't just you in your FBI clothes, it's you, but you turn into a native of that dimension. So you might be turning into 
a humanoid with wings, or you might be turning into a cyber cyborg with cybernetics, or you might even be turning into a fictional character like Alice in Wonderland or one of <laughs> one of the creatures from that story. So it could kind of let you play anything, which is okay. I'm excited about. It feels like it's almost a little too wide when when you've got that many options. It's impossible to choose just one, but I, re- I guess it's really going to hinge on the actual mechanics and how strong that is. Yeah, and the creativity of your GM, as as is usually the case. Of course. <laughs> right. How about yourself? You've been playing lots of analog games, I believe. Yeah. So in what's becoming a recurring segment here, the the collectible card game corner. We've spoken a lot about various games recently and compared them to Magic the Gathering, but we haven't really spoken a lot about Magic itself. I have sort of bounced in and out of that that game very pretty casually over the years, but recently got back in for the sake of the the Lord of the Rings set. I, I went there for building a cube for that. But then I, I, that, my intention was to, to leave it there, just to get, get my cube and, and, and bounce out again, but the, the most recent set that was just launched this last week is called Wilds of Eldraine. So this is based on a... It was an older set a few years ago called uh, Throne of Eldraine. It was all about sort of twisted fairy tales, which, you know, a theme has been done before, but they, they had some, some, some fun treatments and they introduced some food mechanics, you know, obviously, I'm all about. And so this returns to that setting getting out into the the wilds a bit more and the, the, the deep dark forests and with, with some really fun characters. And, and again, very tropey, but but strong characterizations. So you've got, I think, is Greta is, in, in lieu of, of Gretel being this sort of barbarian slaughtering sugar monsters, basically, and all, all, all these, you know, cake monsters. And there's a gingerbread person, uh, running around de- defeating monsters, and like, I, I, I personally, I partly got into this just so I could make some of these creations. I, I was, I'm just constantly drawn in by the the art and the flavor in in Magic: The Gatherings. I, I, ha- I certainly have complaints about the game, both as a both mechanically and as a business model, but that uh, that flavor keeps drawing me back. It's uh, they, they put a lot of effort into into creating those worlds. And each and every one, every one of them is different. So if, if you don't like this one, in, in a couple of months, there'll be a new one that maybe will be of interest. So in, in short, I went to the, the pre-release events down at uh, Rain City Games and, and had a blast. Everyone there was really friendly. Like half the people I spoke to, it was their first time playing a pre-release. And yeah, everyone was really friendly and helpful. And yeah, had, had a lot of fun playing Magic the Gathering. And if you want to see some of Daniel's food creations, you can see a, a certain gingerbread character from <laughs> Eldraine on social media. Uh, I think Board Game Feast on Instagram, right? Yes, yeah, I made a few of the, these uh, Sir Ginger gingerbread people to take along and, and give away at, at the, the pre-release. And that's what really drives me as, as a creator is just making food to, to share with others. So that was a, a that was my, my that was my excuse at least. <laughs> there you go. You can check it out right now. Yeah, and, and from there, bouncing back to Lorcana, which we spoke about the, the last couple of episodes, uh, another local game cafe, Turquoise Goat, had a, a draft just last night. I, I tagged along with a, a friend, Nick, who just just happens to have drawn a lot of the art in that game. So that, that was great fun. A lot of uh, people were there getting his autograph and uh, seeing the sort of budding community around it. There was a couple of other 
creators, local creators making content around the game. So there's a, there's a pretty uh, big community going for Lorcana in Vancouver already. The draft was, was quite interesting. I mean, that's generally my favorite format for the, for these collectible card games. It's sort of a bit more improvised and forced to, to use a, a wider range of cards rather than just theory crafting a, a powerful deck. It works a little differently in Lorcana, though, in that you the the color matchings normally you have to pick two of the six colors to build a deck around but when you draft those colors don't matter you can put whatever cards you want in your deck which has its pros and cons i will say it is certainly better for accessibility uh it makes it it's certainly easier to create a deck it does take out some of the tactical decisions Whereas in, in, in Magic the Gathering, for example, you might open your second pack and now it's suddenly, now it's suddenly a decision between taking the, the most powerful card in the deck but or taking a, le- a less powerful card that actually suits your, your synergies and your colors. So that sort of, you, I, I miss that a little bit, the losing the character of having a, a particular deck color and, and what the sort of synergies that works around. But yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say because the, the, the game does work differently with, with not being there being no mana cards in the game. You just, you just need more cards to, to draft. And so there's, there's very few duds. You're gonna have, you, basically, you, you draft 48 cards and 40 of those are going into the deck. So there's very little wiggle room for actually making any decisions once, 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 you've, once it's done. But that said, I still had a lot of fun with the game. I had a lot more success than our games previously. Uh, so starting to see some of the sort of tactical sort of decisions you can make within the game and some of the combos playing out. So that was that was a lot of fun. Nice. Glad to see you got to see more of those cards because, you know, a game is only as good as the cards, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm, 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 I am particularly curious how this game is going to continue to evolve, both just not just the card sets but other formats like uh, I'm, I'm curious if, if they can evolve the draft format especially like with change changing the rules for that but one, once more packs are available basically I talk about a dozen other games but i think we'll uh, i'll save those for next episode and let's uh jump into the featured segment we'll be back after a quick break Okay, welcome back. We're going to jump into our featured game of the episode. And this, uh, we're, we're talking about a board game, Back to the Analog Table, and we are talking I Love Cats. And I do love cats, as, as it were. I have one on my shoulder right now. <laughs> there you go. I Love Cats. Yeah, from 2019, the designer is Frank West, which is a character in a video game called uh, Dead Rising, I believe, ironically. Yes, I, I, think I, right. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's the same Frank West. <laughs> uh, there's art by Frank West as well, as well as an individual called Drago Liskos, which is a very interesting name. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a pen name or a, a, a artist name. I don't know. Uh, but it published by the City of Games. And if that sounds familiar at all, it's so the this game is set in the same universe as, a, as I, I believe, Frank's first game, which is called The City of Kings. And that was a more sort of traditional RPG, I think, I think a competitive uh, sort of dungeon crawling, or at least sort of fantasy adventure game, uh, basically. Uh, City of Kings, I played that once 
some years ago, but I don't really recall it too well. But this is set in the same universe. I love cats. Very cool. I had no idea. Okay, well, we usually start off with what type of game this is. Uh, I think it's fair to say it's a, it's a polyomino game. Polyominoes are featured very prominently. Tile drafting, you, you take turns drafting the, the, the tiles uh, as you play. Then uh, there's sort of pattern building, pattern matching. You, you gain points for having larger groups or a certain number of cats of the same color or cats touching the edges of the boat, for instance. So that's that's basically the type of game it is. And there's some smaller mechanisms in there. Well, I mean, I, I would say you're underselling the fact that there's a huge amount of card drafting in this game as well. Oh, I suppose there is card drafting. Is there card drafting in the multiplayer game, though, or is that just solo? Oh, yes. No, there's definitely card drafting. I mean, basically, there's a, there's a huge stack of cards, the, the stack of doom, and each round you, you're drawing seven cards, you're keeping two, and you're passing the rest around. And these these decks, these cards have a, a, a wide variety of uses that I guess we'll, we'll get to the basically what they do, but you, you, you're basically drafting these cards and then using those to, to utilize the, the polynomino poly polyomino um, phase by, by drafting the, the cat tiles to then put onto your boat. So thematically, I guess, just to, to, to give a little bit of a framework, the, what was it? Vesh dark hand. I, I believe I'm guessing one of the, the villains from, from city of Kings is on his way to the the fabled island of cats, and for some reason he's he's going to wreck it. He he's a, he's more of a dog person, I guess. The island is going to be destroyed, and so you're here to rescue as many cats as you can. But it is competitive that you like you're trying to get the most credit, sensibly. Uh, so rescue more cats than than everyone else. And so these cats are represented by these polynomial poly. <sighs> I had it before, <laughs> polyomino tiles, a variety of shapes, cats contorting themselves into to every which direction, as you can imagine, trying to herd them onto your boats for various scoring conditions. Well, they do say that cats are liquid. They, they yes. basically <laughs> conform to the shape that they're contained in. So it makes a lot of sense that they would fit on those strangely shaped tiles. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about some of the cards. What 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 are, what are the, the sort of the card types that you're seeing here? Yeah, I think you you probably know the official types better, but I think there's at least lessons, and lessons are point scoring conditions. I guess would be the fairest way to say it. So you sort of draft a scoring condition that will apply just to you at the end of the game. And depending on how you play, there might be some that affect more than just you or in the yes. solo game. There's a really interesting way that they're done, but I guess we'll talk about that later. More than that later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are some default scoring mechanisms and how you're placing these cats out. Largely it's matching colors. Like you have fa families of cats of a single color and they will, uh, these cats are various colors. I should say these are, fa these are fantasy cats. They, these aren't your uh, ordinary tabbies. So there's five different colors. Oh, six colors, I guess, because there's five colors plus the wild Oshax cats. They can be any color. But these cats all have a, a, a lot of character. There's, like, there's bio, bio, like scientific biographies of, 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 this, of the different breeds of cats. You're trying to match those colors to get some points, and you're trying to f complete rooms on your boat. You're trying to cover up rats. So that's, that's always going to be, at least in part, your goal. 
But then these lesson cards come in, and every there's in any given game there's 30, 40 of these in a deck. You'll only see a fraction of those, and every one of them has a different scoring condition. It might be have cats of a particular color at the edge of your boat. Have lonely cats that aren't part of a family. Uh, suddenly the rats are negative points, the rats are positive points, which completely changes how you're going to lay out your boat. So there's, there's a huge number of, of different conditions here that will that will change how you're going to be placing these cats out. And I mean, there's even and some of the expansions add even more of those. So there's a probably by the end that you're looking at 60, 70 different possible lessons. Yeah, lessons though. Lessons for who? Like, are we teaching people or are we teaching the cats? I, I don't really understand that. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a, str- it's a strange term. Yeah, I, I, I'd never really considered that. But um, the, the, the cats are teaching us, I, I, I will assume. <laughs> They're teaching us how to love. Yes. <laughs> how to love life. Or how, to, and, how to feed them fish as well. <laughs> right. Beyond that, uh, there's a few other types of cards. I think there's the treasure cards. So you're not just drafting or you're not just placing cats onto your boat. I don't think we mentioned that we're trying to fill this kind of Noah's Ark style boat uh, that you that forms your player board. You look at the boat's top deck from a top-down perspective, and basically you're trying to fill every corner of this oddly shaped boat, this rub- roughly ovoid shaped boat with these polyomino tiles. And it's not possible to fit in you know, a one-by-one one square with a cat. There just aren't any cats that are small enough. But you could collect minor treasures and i think there are rare treasures as well and they're of different sizes and different shapes but minor treasures are really handy for filling in the little tiny spots which can earn you even more points to fulfill these other conditions of which we will go into in a bit yeah yeah you've got to fund the expedition somehow but uh, they they, so some of these are worth points some of the bigger treasures they, they are worth points especially some of the lessons will also synergize and give you even more points but largely, yes, you, th- th- those are, those help just f- fill in some gaps and, and give you a bit more uh, wiggle room in, in how you lay things out. Uh, there's also some some action, like any play anytime action cards that do a variety of things. Then there's all the, f- the final type of card is rescue cards. So these are what you're actually using to rescue the cats. So these cats are don't particularly have a sense of uh, self-preservation they don't want to come on the boat you have to get a basket you have to feed them fish so you have to draft these these cards with baskets that will both let you claim a cat in a, in a later round but also uh, give you a number of boots so there's that sort of multi-purpose uh, the, the boots is, will, is what will determine the initiative of who gets to choose first this is gonna add up to my one minor complaint about the theming of this game is that <laughs> some of the theme makes sense. Some of the theme does not, you know, put your cats in a basket. Sure. Makes sense. Cat carrier. We, we have cats fish entice the cats. Sure. That makes sense. Boots. I, I don't know. Like do more having more boots or having a higher grade boot chase the cats makes us faster. And then half baskets, Come on, that's a line yeah. too far. Two half <laughs> baskets does not make a, 
a full working jam, jam basket. Jam them together. <laughs> especially when they're made out of wicker or something like that. I don't think uh-huh. they Velcros together or whatnot. So that I'm going to give a thumbs down to. No half baskets for me. So some, yeah, some of the theming is a, a little bit of a stretch. Uh, it, it's more of the mechanical sense of uh, some cards are more valuable than others because here's the, the, the real rub is that each round you have 20 fish. And each of these cards, you, you draft the cards into your hand, but you don't actually get to keep them until you, you they all have a cost. Uh, so this will vary anywhere from like one to six fish, basically. And so you have to pay for which of these cards you want to keep. But don't spend all your fish because you, you also have to, to retain some to then rescue the cats. So there's this real push and pull of, of what you're... Tr- spending your fish on do you spend all your fish on cards sorry yeah all the fish on cards how much you're going to retain to get, to get the cats but you need to buy some baskets first it's it's a little bit convoluted i will say but it does provide for uh, some really strategic thinking about how you're going to approach this game yeah mechanically is quite quite solid and quite interesting and, and it works just thematically you know you're right why i can understand paying fish to entice the cats but why am I paying fish to get baskets? <laughs> why am I paying fish for treasure? I mean, who is who is doing the exchanging here? So there's a, a crew doing some fishing, which is going to make us income every round. And then there's a crew making us baskets and weaving them, and they won't talk to us. They won't follow <laughs> orders unless they're fed fish, I guess. Everyone's eating fish. The crew's eating fish too, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. It's all, it's all there is to eat on these islands. <laughs> right. And I think depending on the mode, there is one final type of card, which is just straight the Oshax card. Oh, right, yeah. They kind of consider this part of the treasure, I guess, or at least the the rare finds. They like, they sort of get played in that same phase. But yeah, the other the other special Oshax cats that you they they cost a lot more, but you can consider them to be any color. At, at least at the moment when you play them, you declare what color that they are. Right, and they are. Uh, I believe the shapes are slightly larger than any of the other regular cat shapes as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, but also quite irregular. They they're not uh, your classic tetromino, tetromino, polyomino. They they yeah, they're, they're like six or seven sort of squares and in very odd shapes. Right. So an Oshax might be an H shape, for instance, whereas a tetromino is just a a four square polyomino. Is is my understanding of it? Yeah, I think most of the cats are between four and six, and the Oshax are like seven or eight. Right, so the the largest is the Oshax, and you might score some points for having the most Oshax as well. No, by the way, what is an Oshax? I looked it's it up, a- googled <laughs> it. Oshax. Most of the results and find sent me to the U.S. Office of Safety and Health Association, so that didn't help me very much. Well, there's the the Oshax uh, c- convention here in Vancouver when d- during the the pandemic. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just another another breed of cats. It's, that's the the most mysterious and elusive. I suppose it is. Even the regu- regular cats have weird horns and things like that too. It's not just a yes, blue, blue yeah. and purple. I mean, I will say that's, that's a good um, reminder me. So a lot of effort has gone into making this game accessible uh, for people being colorblind in that the cats all have very distinguishing features. Uh, it's not just theme. It's like you, so colorblind players can be able, can tell them apart without looking at the color of the tiles. Uh, I, I can't speak from experience as to how easy that is, but some effort has gone into that. There are, there are reference cards that sort of point out the, the different tail shapes and, and the different symbols of, of, of these cats. Right. 
So this is a, a game based in rounds. So there's five rounds. And, you know, I guess by the end of the fifth round, you know, that evil big bad comes and, and comes and destroys the cat island or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Five, five days, I guess. And the best not to think about what happens to any of the cats that you didn't rescue. <laughs> right. And at the, I guess during a round, during a particular round, like uh, you calculate the initiative based on, you know, how many boots a particular player has. And then if it's a multiplayer game, I suppose you just go in the order designated, whoever has the most boots, second most boots and so on. And then if you're just picking one cat at a time, right? There are for some reason, half of the cats cost three fish to draft, and half of the cats are a little bit pickier and choosier, or more hungry, perhaps. And yeah, I don't five. know that I I find that bit particularly important. Like I, I don't know. Like it's, it seems a bit arbitrary that, that some cats cost more. I mean, obviously there is a, t- a bit of a strategic element there. I think it it did, did just complicate things a little bit too much. Like. It's, it's obviously it's going to come into chance as to what if there's a particular cat you want as to whether they cost less or more i i don't think that the game really needed that distinction to be honest yeah because it's a drafting game because you're only drafting one cat at a time basically the the cost not just in fish is opportunity cost you have to really think do you want the color that you want or do you want the price that you want and if i suppose you find a cat of the color with the lower price you got a pretty sweet deal if you can get yeah, I mean, the, the the value of these cats is all relative to the players, what lessons they have, obviously, what cats have already got in their boat. So it, it's already a, a quite a variable value sort of baked into the, what, what cats happen to come out any uh, any given round. Yeah, and it's not always easily understood because of those lessons and because the lessons come out over the five rounds, you're not exactly sure at the beginning of the game what scoring conditions you're going to have at the end of the game. Yeah, so the first couple of rounds, it often feels very arbitrary as to what cats you grab. Like they, they're all equal to each other at that point. It's, 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 it's really a toss up. Are you going to go for lesson cards early and try and commit to a strategy, or are you going to just build out your cats and then hope to find some lesson cards that build into what you've already done so far, <laughs> or, or, or a mix of that, most likely. Yeah, there are general things that are good, but then those individual lesson cards might do the exact opposite. For instance, you generally want groups to be grouped by family type, so by color. So you want big groups of one color, but then the card might say you want to have singletons. So you want ones that don't touch cards. uh, Or you want exactly five blue cats and no more. (laughs) Exactly. And and of course, that's scored at the end of the game, not not when you play the cards. So that's, that's another factor as well. And then you generally want to cover all of the rats because they score you negative points, but then some lessons might flip that. So I feel like early on, a player who plays this for the first time is going to be pretty bewildered about what's going on. Yeah, there are a lot of moving pieces and it can be a little punishing because those those rats are negative points. Though the, the room completion bonus is actually negative. You're actually negating negative points. If it's seven rooms on each boat and for each one you don't, complete it's minus five points into the game so it's not unheard of for new players to actually finish this with a with a negative score which can be a little uh disencouraging shall we say <laughs> right and the rooms were interesting too they're a little bit difficult to see there's basically a tiny little icon that of squares that are adjacent to each other you can have a cat tile span basically over the wall of a room maybe they have really low ceilings or something <laughs> but if you 
cover each of the squares of a particular room that has contiguous spaces, then you gain that bonus that negates the negatives, like like you were just saying. So that's part of the strategy is fill the rooms, fill which rooms, get little treasures to plug all of the holes. And then some lessons might say, score extra points if you fill these two rooms. And another might say, score this many points if you don't put any cats in this room at all. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of scoring conditions to consider here. And this is one of my favorite types of games that I've, I've come to, to realize is these sort of spatial games. If you're filling a special puzzle, but you're given a whole bunch of different scoring conditions that you're trying to balance and prioritize, and you can never do all of them. It's just a matter of how you have to prioritize how you which ones you're going to focus on, what whether you're going to give up on on certain conditions and just focus on one or two. This is a game where you have to go a little wide. You can't just commit to one or two strategies because, unfortunately, there is a bit of luck to the draw here with that that stack of cards. Sometimes you commit to a, say a treasure strategy, and then you just never see any treasure cards. Uh, so that so you do have to diversify your strategy a little bit, cover a few different bases, and then hope at least one of those pays off. <laughs> Otherwise, you know that's that's basically the flow of it. It's it's five rounds, and there's some very mild engine building. I, I wouldn't hardly even say that word at all, except for the fact that you can buy permanent baskets, which means you don't have to hunt for them every single round. But as you would imagine, those are only really of great value at the beginning of the game when you have multiple uses of them over the multiple rounds. And they do come with an additional cost, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it doesn't really make sense to invest in permanent baskets when there's only one or two rounds left. So that that's going to be plus or minus to you as well. Do you mind if I compare this to another tile play? Well, it game? depends what game that is. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, well, <laughs> well, bonus points is that it's animal themed. I instantly started to compare it to another polyomino game. Happens to be called Baron Park or Bear mm-hmm. Park, I guess, depending on where you're from. It has a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences as well. I will grant that. Baron Park primarily has you filling out filling out square tiles. And you do have to have some adjacent placement as well. But I think the rules of Baron Park are quite a bit simpler and quite a bit cleaner. It doesn't have any of the, you don't know what the rules conditions are going to be by the (laughs) end of the game sort of thing. There are these kind of bonus point randomizers, but they're dealt from the very beginning of the game before anyone takes a single piece. And from there on, it's kind of a race. So you might get points by collecting over three or over six green tiles or over three blue tiles or something like that. So it's kind of a, just a race. Like it's, it's very, like I said, simple and clean. And I would probably say a little bit more family friendly than, than Isle of Cats, mm. ironically. Yeah, I, I, I have played that on BGA. I, I've sort of reserved opinions until I've, pl- I've played it in person I, I i did find it a little too simple for me it's i'm sure like it's it, 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 it say it's it, it's much more accessible and in a simpler game but i there wasn't quite enough in there for me in that it was very my moment to moment there wasn't really any sort of broader long-term strategies or, or surprises as the game goes on yeah i think the surprises come from 
watching what the other players do. Like, I think there is some capacity to do like, um, I don't know, Hank drafting or, or, or racing to get a certain combo ahead of another player in Isle of Cats. I think it's just confusing enough with your own lessons and scoring conditions just to pull off what you're personally trying to achieve in your own board that probably looking at what people are doing on their other boards isn't really going to happen easily in Isle of Cats. There isn't a lot of interaction. I mean, like, I, like drafting does inherently have some interaction built into it. I, I found that on at least for a first couple of games, you're going to be so focused on learning the game and figure, seeing what's possible that it's not really a consideration. But there definitely is space for that down the road in, in making sure you're not handing a particularly powerful lesson card to someone who's going to benefit from that, to like blocking, like not giving them any treasure seeing if they've got a particular like a whole grouping of cats basically that that, that they might benefit from a card so I, I can see that the the sort of race for initiative if you think someone else might be going for a particular like for a, a cat that's valuable to you but again that that is a very hard calculation just because there's so many considerations in, in as to what is valuable it's hard to know what's valuable to you let alone to everyone else there are there are a few little moments for that, uh, and especially yeah. as you, as you get more experience with the game. Like the public lessons is what I was, what I meant to say, where I was leading that is that with the public lessons are, uh, will be applicable to everyone. So it might benefit you, but it's going to behoove you to, to to check if it's not going to benefit everyone else just as much. Right. The racing for initiative I thought was not worth the effort because no. like like you said you know it's hard to read what the other players are going to do plus if you win yeah you're going to get first choice but that doesn't mean there aren't going to be two or three good choices out there that mm. you'd be okay with right i mean i will say you've only played this game on board game arena right yeah that's true of course you you pulled out the pieces and and we took <laughs> a look at them while i was at your place but admittedly yes i have not played this game in person yeah, I, I'm sure there's some board presence uh, if you play it in person. Well, why don't I just leave your that opinion to you? What what do you think about the in-person experience? Yeah, I, I think these polyomino games do generally benefit from being in person. I mean, at least for me, I, I should say, like I just find that sort of spatial visualization much easier in person, especially both both taking in your own board, but also it's, it's a little easier to, to take in everyone and what, seeing seeing what everyone else is doing moment to moment and and playing in real time you you have a better much better sense of what everyone is trying to do so it's a little easier to counter and maybe take the, the, those sort of more interactive elements into consideration uh, and it's also just that that tactile joy of, of fitting these these cats together and this little jigsaw boats there uh, I, I I do think that that is, is quite that is a big element. This game is a an excellent production. I know you, we've mentioned a little bit how the the theme doesn't always come across particularly strong, but the the presentation absolutely does. the The artwork is is extremely vibrant and some some lovely artwork. Like all these cats, like there's I don't know how many different tiles of cats, and everyone is basically unique. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different cat artwork in this game, and like you've got these little cat meeples that you're using to track different things. And it's, it's a beautiful presentation in general. So I think that goes a long way to, to this game's charm. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I didn't know about the 
prequel game that you were talking about, the City of Kings, I think you said it was. I didn't know that there was any connection to a, a fantasy I think it's just Mitch Darkhand, and it's a much, it's a much darker sort of more traditional fantasy game. Like you wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that it was there was a connection there. Uh, I read up on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having heard the name Isle of Cats, Isle of Cats, Isle of Cats, I just assumed it was just regular old cats. I didn't know it was <laughs> Isle of Fantasy Cats. And putting cats in a boat? Sure, that's hilarious. F- sure, I'll play that. You know, it's like herding cats, right? That's got to be super fun. I actually found the the presentation, it's, it's nothing less than serviceable. You know, it's great. They've, they've obviously done good work there. But I, I just thought the cat illustrations were creepy, to be honest. I didn't like them. <laughs> you Uncanny Valley? Yeah, like they, they have <laughs> creepy horns and creepy shapes. Like they're, and they're also these kind of pukey, pastel-y colors, unnatural colors. And I don't know, maybe I'm being a grump. But I would have preferred, you know, cute calico cats like that game called Galico. <laughs> that our, our friends at flat out put out, you know, I just like natural cute cats. So the theme didn't do anything for me, I guess is what I'm saying. It, yeah. The theme is a bit extra. I was, it, it does feel like it goes a little above and beyond what, what like what you're actually doing. Like the, the, the stakes of this game incredibly high for, for a, like cute cat game. But I, I, I do love it. I mean that if you, if you, squint and ignore though those sort of hard edges i i think it's still a cute game about about cat tiles on a boat uh and that that goes a long way it, it, it's it's a very accessible theme if, if, you, if you if you leave out those 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 uh, dark edge cases i was saying but it's it's a accessible theme for bringing people in and it's a it's a nice it's accessible theme in that sense at least that might uh, help over over uh, sort of gloss over some of the the more the harder elements of the rules to cover yeah here's my suggestion i think they should make a studio ghibli themed (laughs) isle of cats you can still have some of the cats from more kawaii cats and you can have them all loading up a cat bus from uh, totoro well, wait till you see the expansion for this game. There is there is a couple. There is uh, an expansion with a few modules. One of which is called Beasts, and that includes some very Ghibli esque uh, other fantasy creatures. Okay, there you go. Maybe maybe there is <laughs> more reason to keep on playing. And also, kittens. One of the exp- other expansion is kittens. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I don't know. We can probably give our opinions there. Are there any other? deeper corners you want to dig into with this one yeah so i i I don't know if i've I've probably haven't uh sold the fact that i I do really enjoy this game i said there's a huge amount of of variety in game to game your strategies are going to be constantly evolving but beyond that there's also a lot of different modes for this game so there's the family mode, which which nixes the the huge stack of doom to a much smaller stack, and you're mostly just focused on the ma- matching the family. So it's a more uh, a simplified version. I haven't actually tried that one, but if if you really want a simplified version of the game, that's there. There's the remote mode, which was designed as part of, during the the pandemic, and basically uses a completely different system rather than drafting cards and tiles there's just a grid of cards that you you choose a, a three by four grid of cards and you choose one row and those are the cards you've got to work with and I, that, that is a, a it's, it's, it's easy to write off some of these remote virtual game modes 
that is one I enjoyed distinctly on it, in its own terms to the extent that they actually went and redesigned that as the roll and write, explore and draw spin-off game. So that one that that did start out as just a, a sort of sub mode within the, the base game, but uh, really stands on its own as a as a unique puzzle that sort of really condenses down this game into its core elements. So the fact that I, I'm more often reaching for that, to be honest. There's the solo mode, which I think is actually really clever in that most solo modes are just get a high score or fulfill these conditions. This adds a parasitic element to your boat. So it turns out your sister st- stowed away and she's now trying to steal your credit. So your sis- the sister character has her own set of lessons that she's getting points for that applies to your boat. So this, so now, now there's like somewhere between two and five objectives based on difficulty of, of things that you don't want to achieve. Because if you, if you achieve these lessons, she gets the points. So now, they, now you're not only balancing all these lessons that you're trying to achieve, but you're also trying to balance things that you don't want. So this adds a whole extra level to the game. It might be a little too complicated, but like for a game that I already love, it adds this really unique puzzle, and like it's it like every game is even more unique from that point. So I, I really enjoy the balance that brings, and it's a quite a unique take on a solo mode. I feel. Yeah, it is pretty clever. I, I have to say that it got confusing pretty quickly in that the sister already is sort of a, a negative victory condition, right? Because you want to, it's something you want to avoid. And then you get some of these lessons that themselves have language that talks about negatives. Like score every point that doesn't do this. Yeah, <laughs> then, yeah. You have to do a double take sometimes. Anyway, uh, what do I not want to do this, or do I want to? Precisely. Do, yeah, it, it's a little tricky. It, it is more of an advanced game mode, I will say. You want to be familiar with the base game before you dive into that. Uh, but I, I, I do enjoy that mode. And it's on, yeah. I should say on uh, on board game arena, you can play the solo mode without all the setup and and uh, fiddliness. Yeah, I think I started up three solo games of that at the same time because I I like to punish myself (laughs) for some reason. And that probably added to the confusion as well. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know, I appreciate that that's there. I appreciate that the other modes are there. But just when you talked about the family mode, I was reminded of another spatial tile laying game that I played recently, actually on the very same night as Baron Park was a little old game called Cascadia also features animals (laughs) yes and cascadia is tile laying albeit not polyomino shapes but you are creating more complex shapes because of the scoring conditions and i have to say that yeah i think that isle of cats is good but i don't think it's a game that can stand up to just the brilliance and the, the clean play and setup of cascadia like if i want to scratch that itch of a sort of spatial puzzle that involves drafting there's there's just no comparison i'll just go for cascadia every single time cascadia is an incredibly streamlined one of those i I do love cascadia Uh, i I think this is a good time to actually bring in the question that we had if you just let me find that steven wrote in to say i love isle of cats as one of the first popular polyomino tile placing games i wonder how it compares to newer ones that have come since like planet unknown or wild tiled west 
does it still hold up or has the polyomino mechanism evolved or been streamlined? And so I, this is something I want to discuss in that I, I have not played either of those two games that he mentioned, but they are they are high on my to playlist. Wild Child West has been getting uh, quite a bit of buzz around Gen Con. And Planet Unknown won quite a few awards last year. So I, re- I really want to try both of those. But if you want streamlined tile laying games, th- this is not the game for you. There are plenty of those out there. I mean, Patchwork, My City, even, Cascadia, uh, I'm trying to think of what others, Bar- Baron Park, as you mentioned before. Th- th- there's no shortage of, of streamlined tile laying games that re- really just focus on that. This is going above and beyond to do something a little more complex layering on uh, more late like there's the drafting layer there's the the all the these le- the evolving lessons and how that differs game to game so this is this is a whole other i, I, I wouldn't even c- compare this necessarily because it's on a whole different level of complexity compared to say cascadia and baron park i think that's that's fair that's that's your opinion i, I would put them in the same <laughs> basket because cascadia does have very complex scoring conditions and you have multiple scoring conditions that are uh, oftentimes competing with each other. Plus you have the double uh, drafting challenge that Cascadia presents, which is quite unique. I would argue that Isle of Cats adds a lot of unnecessary craft and a it's lot a little, of... It's a little um, shaggy, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of uneven and awkward game tempo, whereas Cascadia, you just set it to run and it purrs. So... Yeah, maybe it's unfair to, com- to compare the games directly, but I guess I'll just say this for myself, which I can only talk about my own opinion, is that this is a type of game that I w- wouldn't play very often. There is something attractive about a polyomino laying game and, and the inherent puzzle, but I don't want to play a game like this over and over and over again. And for that reason, I don't think I want the additional extra steps and the you know the added complexity of the competing scoring rules i you know i want something that just hits every single time i play it which is maybe like you know maybe i'd play cascadia once a month not every single day too uh but i don't think i'd play Isle of Cats <laughs> every month i don't think i'd come oh, back to it sure i mean cascadia i've i've played a lot more cascadia if i want a quick solo p- puzzle I, I that's what i'm reaching for generally Th- this is isle of cats it, it's not perfect but if I want something a little more uh, that that's adaptable to a wide variety of, of sort of play styles, whether it's solo or family, or you, you can adapt this game in, in, in a wide variety of ways. But if I want, I want something a little more complex, th- this is generally what I'm reaching for. Okay, great. <laughs> we all had a fun time on Isle of Cats. Shall we uh, talk about the next game we're going to cover? I should say, if you are concerned about those cats that did not make it off the island, there is another spin-off game <laughs> that, that just came out. I, I picked this up last month called Race to the Raft. And it, uh, that is a cooperative uh, sort of communication game about the, the remaining cats making their way to a raft to escape the island. So it's okay. The cats are fine. <laughs> the expanding cat universe. <laughs> All right, I guess next time we're going to be talking about a video game. Do you want to tell us what video game that is, Daniel? Yeah, well, I mean, I I did mention this on Twitter, I believe, but to be as no surprise, we are going to space. We're going to be taking a bit of a deep dive into Starfield, at least as much of a deep dive as we can scratch out in in two weeks. There is a lot of game there. (laughs) 
For sure. And, and like we said, we are playing the um, early access, so we've already played a little bit and we'll play a little bit more. I mean, Bethesda games are kind of inherently early access. <laughs> for sure. The, the, we haven't had the um, player community create patches for everything yet. For, for, for uh, to, to give them credit, this seems to be one of the least broken Bethesda launches. <laughs> I've seen some pretty hilarious bugs as of yet, but let's talk about those more next episode. Yes, so yeah, for all for all your Starfield bugs, both both alien bugs and and uh, game bugs, uh, join us on next episode for Starfield. If you have any questions or comments on Isle of Cats or Starfield or your favorite Polyomino games, you can contact us on at I should say uh, OmniGamersClub at gmail.com. I we are still technically present on Twitter as long as while well, well, that is still there uh or you can catch me uh daniel at board game feast on instagram and blue sky that's probably the best spots yeah <laughs> yeah i'm omnigamer mark on instagram and you can email us at omnigamer omnigamers club at gmail.com that's right excellent well thanks for listening and thank you mark Absolutely, a pleasure. And until next time, please have a balanced diet of gaming. Meow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>